welcome everyone both online and in person to our new series for the next 13 weeks that's entitled the life of Jesus in chronological order and I'm just taking a moment to mute my phone in this particular lesson would be the introduction to the series so this introductory lesson then is designed to review references from the Bible, from each of the gospel, to review the purpose and advantages of, of a sequential study of the life of Christ Jesus, but also to identify seven major categories or seven major events that took place during that time frame. We are all familiar with biographies. Biographies are neat. They are one of the uh, one of the great forms of books we can read today because they allow us to read about the intimate details, if you will, and the early lives of people who have done a lot of great things in society. And it seems that by reading about these individual lives, we measure our own. And many times in this process we are inspired to change the way we're doing things in our lives to emulate them, if you will. Biographies, they also give insight into the forces and events, if you will, that shape that person and, and also help us understand the world that we live in, the past world, as it were. And we find that many of these things, they not only shape our lives, but they shape our attitudes as well in the things that we are doing each and every day. So it would seem natural then that studying the life of Jesus, studying the life of Jesus, it would benefit us in many of these same ways in terms of it help us change the way we think, change the way we do things. It will help us establish, if you will, a true standard as we go about living our lives as best we can, according to the word of God. So would you join me in prayer, please? Our blessed Heavenly Father, we love you, Father, and we thank you for this opportunity to study about our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, so many times we read the gospel, Father, and we get so much information that we glean from it, but sometimes we, we miss out on the intricate details. We miss out on how these things, these things that we're reading about interlinked and intertwined and how they showed a transition from one aspect or one stage of his life to another. And Father, we thank you for this opportunity. And Father, as we go through this lesson, Father, for the next 13 weeks, Father, we pray that we will seek ways to better understand those things that you've provided us in your written word. Father, we thank you for loving us and blessing us. These things we pray and thank you for in Christ Jesus' most holy name. Amen. I do have about, if, if time permits, I do have about three discussion questions I want to bring forth. So going back to our lesson, Usually, when we study the Gospels, we're looking at the teachings of Jesus. We, and, and we're looking at, looking for a few of what they mean and how we can apply these things in our lives, right? But we rarely study Jesus himself in that we rarely study his life in the order of events on how he lived it out. 
And there's probably a reason for that. When we look at the four gospel writers and their synoptic accounts, what we find is that they, they give a variety of incidents, but they really don't say, and this led to that and that led to that. And of course, they are giving it to us from a different point of view. Thus, when we read the four gospels, one after another, we're not always sure of how the events flow. They each tell a story, and that story being they tell a story of his birth, they tell a story of his death, but the details in between are not always explained in chronological order, and that's what we're attempting to do today. We want to get a sense of how one event leads to another or led to another. So, with that said, is there an... Oops. Okay. Well... As soon as you thought it worked, (laughs) it does. So there is an objective then, and the objective is this, that I present the life of Jesus in chronological order, in doing so show what he did, where he went from the first to the last in a step-by-step description. When Jesus was born... The world kept time according to the Roman calendar, which was based on the year that the city of Rome was uh, founded or established, if you will. So with this calculation, we find that Jesus was born in the year 735 because the city of Rome was said to have been established 735 years before the year that Christ Jesus was born. So then, if we kept this calendar today, i.e. we were using the Roman calendar today, it would be the year 2758 instead of 2023. Now, some people of that era also kept calendars according to the year that an emperor or a king was put into power. And we see an example of this at Luke chapter 3 at verse 1, where it tells us that John the baptizer started his ministry in the year of uh, uh, Tiberius Caesar. In the Middle Ages, in the Middle Ages, the Christian calendar was introduced, and it was using the birth of Jesus as the, you might say, the zero point. When calculations were made, calendars produced, and they were distributed, it was noted that an an error had been made. And that the date of Jesus' birth was approximately four years before the zero date that had previously been calculated. But all was not lost. Since all had been done, they left it alone. They left it alone. And this is how we came to, how it came to be, rather, that when pinpointing the calendar date of Christ Jesus' birth, scholars tell us that he was born in 4 B.C., rather than on that zero that had previously been calculated. We also know that he died at age 33. Luke 2, verse 20, I'm sorry, Luke 3, verse 23, says he was 30 years old when he began his ministry. When we review his ministry event by event, we see that he ministered through three annual Passover celebrations, and he died in the fourth, during the fourth. So if he was born around 4 BC and died at 33, 
it means that the calendar date of his death would be approximately 29 AD. So Pentecost happened in 29 AD. Now those churches whose cornerstones say this church was founded in 30 AD, they have the right doctrine, they have the right spirit, but they have the wrong date. But even by New Testament standards, when you think of the age 33 and dying at age 33, that is still young. Because at that particular time, it, it wasn't unusual for people to live to be 50 to 55 years of age. So then, when studying Jesus' life, we can divide in, into seven main periods. And we're going to go through those in short detail today, and as we go through these 13 weeks of classes, we're going to get into each one of these in a little bit more detail. So uh, period number one, if you will, was the time frame of his childhood from zero to 12. Now these include incidents and prophecies that led to his birth and a little information about his childhood. Over time, there have been many books written about that time, the time, the childhood of Christ Jesus. And they show him doing things like uh, as a little boy stretching lumber for Joseph, right? They show him living in the desert with the monks, the group is known as the Essenes, where they were training him. But what we, we have to realize something about that. These are based on fables and stories that were circulated about his life in the early years, what we need to do is look at what God gave us. The only information that God has revealed to us about the childhood of Christ Jesus is limited to and contained in a few passages of Matthew and Luke. Period two. Inauguration of Jesus' public ministry. Again, we find that at the age of 30, at the age of 30, Jesus leaves his obscure life in, in uh, Nazareth and Capernaum, and, he, he, and that's in the northern, northern region, and he travels south to begin his public ministry. And during that particular trip, we find that it was spectacular in itself with him starting this, but also he met John the baptizer as well. Remember, he met him at the Jordan. He said to, to John, permit this to be so, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Period three, his public ministry from the first Passover to the second Passover. Now, most of the information about this period is found in the book of John. And we find that Jesus performs most of his ministry in Jerusalem at that time and departs from there and he goes back north. Period four, public ministry from the second Passover to the third. Now, there are 36 events that make up this section where most of the action takes place in Galilee, which is the northern part of the country where Jesus originally grew up. Period number five, his ministry from the third Passover to the beginning of the last week of the fourth Passover in his that took place during his ministry. Now, this is the longest section in the New Testament. It, there are 61 events mentioned in this period, and all four writers of the gospel describe these events in detail. During this time, during this time, 
we see Christ Jesus going back and forth from the north to the south, uh, northwest to the southern capital of, Ju- of Jerusalem. This section also describes some of the days, some of the, uh, uh, the stays along the way where Jesus carried out his ministry, where he traveled back and forth along with his disciples when he was going about the business of teaching them as well. Period six, last Passover week, ending with crucifixion. Now, we're going to go through this section when we get there, and we're going to give it to you basically event by event, day by day as these things took place so that we can better have an understanding of them. And number seven, his resurrection, appearance, and ascension. Aside from his ascension before the apostles, the Bible describes 11 other separate appearances where he appeared to more than 540 people over a period of 40 days. And we're going to go over these as well in our study. Now, hopefully at the end of this lesson, hopefully at the end of this lesson, at the end of this study, we're going to know more about the ministry of Jesus. We're going to know more about his life and his work. We are going to become, all this stuff really, rather, rather is going to become a bit more real, and we're going to have more understanding as a historical event and not simply as a group of things that was provided to us in the Gospels. We will have a better understanding So then, in each class, we're going to try to focus. We're going to try to focus on some event. We're going to try to focus on some teaching that, will, that we can draw a lesson from, that we can share a word of encouragement with one another with. So in this class, we have not looked at any one event, as you notice, but rather we've looked at an overview of the movement of Christ Jesus during his ministry and the work that he was doing there. However, in this brief review, it does provide, if you will, several important lessons. Lessons number one, there was a method. There was a method. You know, sometimes we do things and we think, okay, it's all haphazard. Uh, as somebody said, I fly by the seat of my pants. Christ Jesus was not flying by the seat of his pants. When we read the gospel, we don't really see the pattern of his movements, but, but, but really, trust me, there are definitely, or rather, there was a definite pattern that was well laid out in advance of his coming to this earth. And we look at it, how it flows here. We, we can see his early years at home with his family. We can see the announcement of his ministry there with John and the other leaders in in Jerusalem where the huge population was. We can see him returning to the north where he actually began teaching and doing miracles, uh, not just for his own family, but he was also recruiting his disciples from his hometown. We see him returning to Jerusalem to expand his ministry once uh, it was established. We see him spending time in the north and afterwards, uh, well, afterwards being uh, rejected and haunted by the leaders in the capital. And then we see his final appearance. We see his final appearance in Jerusalem, which resulted in his death and resurrection. We see there in Jerusalem where the church was established and spread. Lesson two. We see that his movements was based on his movement was based on prophecy. Uh, we go to your Bibles to Micah chapter five. 
Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Okay. So, the fact that he was born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth were mentioned by the prophets. For instance, in Micah chapter 5, at verse 2, the Bible reads... Okay, got it. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And we also see it in Matthew, if you will go over there, Matthew chapter 2, at verse 23. Matthew 2 at verse 23 in the Bible reads I just remember something I was going too fast are you guys ready ready Got it? Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, Matthew 2 at verse 23. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. <laughs> yeah, the reason I did that, because we were in Bible study Thursday, and I realized something. Micah is growing, and when I was growing like Michael, I said Micah. When I was growing like Michael, what I realized sometimes when I was in class and the, and the teacher was talking, and I had to go back to my table of contents <laughs> to find it because I didn't know how to get there real quick. And so I'm slowing up so to make sure this happened because I know it's important. It happened for me when I was young, and the preacher realized that, and the teacher realized that, so the teacher gave me a moment to catch up with them. They just didn't assume because they had been doing it for years that I can just flip it open to and do it like that. Yeah, I was 30-something years old, but I knew their Bible had a cover, and I knew the Bible, a front cover and a back cover. What was in between, I had no idea where to find them. So I appreciate that, man. appreciate that. So then, so Jesus himself mentioned that he did the will of his Father. The Holy Spirit moved him to go into the desert to be tempted. Uh, he did not go to Jerusalem until the time was fulfilled for him to go there. So when we look at his ministry, we don't see somebody just mindlessly traveling around that area and wandering back and forth, but rather what we see is a well-ordered ministry, time for him to be in certain places and at certain periods of time based on God's word that we find in the prophets and his will during the period that Christ Jesus was physically here on this earth. Number three, third lesson. Small area, great impact. Jesus' ministry covered an area of roughly 100 miles long and 60 miles wide. Over three years. But when you look at that, look at the impact that that, that small area of work has done and is doing 2,000 years later. 
we are 2,000 years removed from that time. If you want to look at distance, we are approximately 6,019 miles removed from that place. When we are thinking that we can't do much for Christ Jesus from our little town, and Anchorage is a little town, trust me, from our small resources, remember how much came from so little. Look how much has come from that. Now, when you think about it, Anchorage Church of Christ here in Anchorage, Alaska, when, you comp- when we compare ourselves in number and in, in resources and building to other congregations, we are small because there are a lot of congregations larger. Yet, we here at Anchorage Church of Christ can accomplish great things according to God's word, according to God's will. And with that said, next Saturday... March 11th, we're going to have a men's breakfast here, and we, we're asking all the men to show up for this. We're, we're not asking anyone not a part of the congregation to show because what we want to do is do some brainstorming. We want to do some brainstorming that would be beneficial in helping this congregation continue to be successful in the work that it's doing according to God's will. In other words, we want to look at how we can better use the resources that God has blessed us with. The plan is for our ladies to do the same. With the mindset that after this is done, there will be a future congregational meeting. Some people call them town hall meetings. They're congregational meetings. And the, the mindset behind this congregational meeting with all of this is this. To solidify our trust and faith in God, but also to show our unity as a congregation to solidify our unity as a congregation. Tony and I, your elders, we expect a lot of ideas. Make make no mistake about that. But we want everyone to be mindful of something. In those meetings where we're having these brainstorming sessions, we don't want anybody to yell, that was a stupid idea. Because it's not a stupid idea. It's brainstorming. It is a, a collection of ideas. Some of those ideas are going to be feasible and can be implemented. Some are not. But they're not stupid ideas, and we don't want anybody in in any of those meetings to yell that out. That was stupid. That's dumb. You have an idea, put it out there. Keep this in mind, too, when we're doing brainstorming sessions. Since it's a true fact that no one in here is more important than another and no one in here is less important than another, that means everyone has something to say. Everyone has something to say. And you know what? Some of great ideas have come from people we think didn't have much to say. <laughs> I didn't think was so important. So let's keep that in mind. And also keep this in mind. If God directs our work, if God directs our effort, we, this little church here in Anchorage, Alaska, and this little small town in Alaska, can affect the world for Christ right here from this place. Now, thank you guys for joining me. I know this is a short start, but I got some questions here that probably a lot of people want to talk about. I want your thoughts. These are thought questions, discussion questions. I'm not asking you for facts. I'm asking you what you think. 
So first question, and if you want to use a microphone, I can bring it to you. If you want to speak out, uh, that's fine. I may not remember everything that you say to repeat it, but I think everyone here will hear you for the most part. And hopefully, uh, I'll turn this on, maybe uh, the people out there can hear too. So the first question, the first question or thought question is, why is it important or why do you think it is important to study the life of Jesus as well as his teachings? Why do you think that's important? To study the life of Jesus as well as his teachings. Why do you think that's important? You want the He said Jesus preached what he lived, and Jesus lived what he preached. So how would that equate to us, do you think? (laughs) There you go. (laughs) We're supposed to do the same thing, yes. Oh, that is good. If you don't know where you've been, how do you know where you're going? Yes. Thank you. Basically, we can see what people are doing, but not understand it until we figure out the why that they are doing it. And once we figure out the why, we basically, and just paraphrasing, we can see a better picture of it, and we can better understand it. And in some cases, if it's something we need to implement in our lives, we can do it better. Thank you. I hope that was a good paraphrase. (laughs) Anyone else? All right. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Ah, thank you. The more we learn about Jesus's life, the more we learn about God. And that's what we're in the business about. That's why uh, that's why we come to these Bible studies in the on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings and and things like that. That's why we come here because not only are we fellowshipping with one another, but each and every time whether it's whether it's coming forth here as a facilitating of a class like this or whether the preacher standing up there proclaiming God's word, the mindset is to learn more and more about God. Uh, my granddad, and you guys are probably tired of hearing me say this, but my granddad always told me, and uh, we used to think he was the dumbest man in the world until I grew up and I realized how smart he was. He said, it's what you learn after you know everything that counts. Some of us make a mistake of thinking we know so much about God because we've been doing this so many years. We know everything about God, but we don't know nothing. It's what we learn after we know everything that counts. 
So if we've been doing this for a long time and we got a good understanding of God, we should also realize it doesn't stop. There's no stopping point until you breathe your last. When you breathe your last, then that's the stopping point. Guyan Woods drove that home to me a long time ago when I was over at South Anchorage when he said, 92 years old, and I'm still learning. And that man had been preaching since he was a a young teenager. He grew up in a family of preachers and elders. He had heard about God. He knew about God. He had studied about God. And even at 92 years old, he said, I'm still learning. It's a lifetime process. So let us never forget that being a Christian is a lifetime process, not a one and done, nothing like that. Any other comments on this one? Yes. Mm. The more we study Christ's life, the bigger our faith becomes. I love that. Faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Ah, I left out a key word. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now implies the present. Not the past, not the future, but the present. We're always working on it. And the more we learn, the more our faith is, the more we grow. All right, anybody else? All right, next question, uh, thought question. Okay, except for one person. (laughs) Maybe three people, except for three people. Let me look around again. Look around again. Yeah. Except for three people who have not raised children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> okay. So why would the but you can still answer this. You still speak speak to this. Why would the gospel writers, or why do you suppose the gospel writers would not include details of the early life of Jesus' childhood? What would be the value of that? Hmm. Hmm. When I was driving in from Cleveland. Well, think about it. For all of us who have raised children, let me see. First of all, I need to tell you something. Babies read the manual that we didn't have. They knew the following. Once they were born, somebody had to feed them. They knew that once they were born, somebody had to change their diapers. They knew that once they were born, they were going to be teething. They knew that once they was born, once they get fed, somebody was going to have to burp them. Babies knew all of that stuff. So there is no benefit to telling us that, okay, when Christ Jesus was born, his mother changed his diapers. She gave him milk. She burped him. She fed him. There was no, what's the purpose of that? What was purposeful, though, was when he was 12. Luke chapter 2 and verse 52. When he, they went into Jerusalem and mom and dad and everybody was headed back home and they realized, oops, we're missing somebody. And they went back and found them in the temple communicating there. And he told him he, was, he must go about his father's business. But what God said after that, he said that Mary kept those things in her heart 
and Christ Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and with man. That's important. Whether or not he got his diapers changed, how many times a day he got them changed, how many times he woke up, how many times he got birthed, how many times he teased, whether he got cholera, not cholera, what's a colic, whether he got colic, whether he got the measles, whether he got the mumps, all of that there didn't mean a thing for us. It really didn't. But what was important, he came to that realization of the work that he had to do. What's important for us, we come to that realization of the work we have to do. That's important. God gave us what we needed. Yes. It was customary, so he would have had to because he grew up. The question was, do we think he went to the classes like the other little boys did? He would have had to because he grew up in a Jewish tradition. And so he wasn't exempt because he was the son of God. He had to do everything the other young boys had to do as well. Uh, which means, a gentleman told me one time, he said, uh, the reason he was against any child being baptized before, I think he said 18 or something like that, was because if they got baptized at, let's say, 12, then they have to stop being (laughs) obedient to their parents and start being obedient to God, which I thought was kind of interesting because it was like, doesn't God expect them to be (laughs) obedient to their parents? But that was his mindset. So because of that, you have to wait and overhear, and that way you're you're not under your parents' roof anymore, and now you don't have to worry about it. But no, I mean, just one minute. If my grandmother was alive today, you bet I would be respectful. Because even when she died and I was in my 30s, when she told me I was wrong, I listened. Because 90% of the time I was wrong. But anyway. (laughs) Yes. That is true. That is true. That is, that is according to Jewish tradition, yes. But we have to look at what Christ Jesus brought in. We transitioned from the Jewish system to the Christian system. We went from the law of Moses to the law of Christ to the law of liberty. That they wouldn't have. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they would have blown him off. Oh, yes, Tony. Okay, thank you. And what Tony said was, there are things in, in, in that early years that was just not essential. Just not essential to our walk of faith and our coming to Christ. And, and thank you for that. Thank you all for your comments. Now, one last, one last thought question. And this one is 
I'll let you figure out how you want to work with it. How can I use this lesson to grow spiritually and help others come into a relationship with Jesus? Any thoughts? Oh, yes. Okay. What, thank you. What Michael said was what he wants to do is learn more about it so that he can show others and talk to others about it. And, and when we look, go back to Matthew um, 28, when we talk, look at the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then that next line, and I think we miss sometimes, teaching others to observe all that I've commanded you. I can't teach you what I don't know. <laughs> I can't teach you what I don't know. Then, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, at work, I have people doing um, some interesting things, some people that work on my team doing some interesting things, and sometimes they ask that question, why do we have to do this? And I always say, how can you sell a product, a market a product, if you haven't even done it. Because if I ask you the million dollar question about it and you tell me I don't know, you gotta go talk to James and my boss, then I'm gonna be like, well then maybe I don't need it either. So we, we make it mandatory that there are certain um, certifications that, th that they must have as well in order to market those certifications to other people because they are beneficial to their well-being. Uh, any other comments on this one? Yes. Okay. That makes sense, though. We need to know who Christ is, and we need to know how we are using him in our lives so that we can help other people come to that knowledge as well. Now, we're not salesmen by no means, but we are marketers. When we talk about going into the world and allowing people to see God living, or God and Christ Jesus living in our heart, we are marketing. Whether we call it that or not, we are marketing. You know, one of, the, one of the strangest things I heard one time from a gentleman that came to visit at a congregation a long time ago, but it must have been close to 30 years ago, and this guy said something that really perplexed me. He said, I have gone to church, I have worked with that person for over 20 years, and up until today I never knew he was a Christian. That wasn't a very good marketing that was being taken place. And we have to be mindful of that. We think people don't see us and, and hear us and, 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 and observe the things we do. But you'll be surprised. You'll be surprised. It's something that I, I, I came across a long time ago, and, and, and it made so much sense. The guy said, be careful how you treat people on the way up, 
because those are the same people you meet on the way down. So, which means people are looking, people are paying attention. If you come across like you anything other than a child of God today, and then tomorrow you come talk to me about being a Christian, you're going to have a, 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 a wall to tear down before you can get me to that point. Because I have experienced you over the years. And now you're coming to me talking about this. And you tell me you've been doing this for way back here. I'm looking at you like, wow. You got to overcome a lot to get me here. You got to overcome a lot. So then, uh, what I'm going to do is, I I forgot to do it today. But I am going to make a copy of the reading assignment for lesson two and put it on the table in the foyer. So if you guys want to read through this through these verses, uh, you'll be you're welcome to. I suggest you do. Uh, it's about uh, 15 sets of scripture and uh, they're all geared to lesson two. They're all geared to lesson two in the life of Jesus. When we look at uh, uh, his his boyhood and so forth and this as we move forward. Are, th- are there any other comments? Yes, Tony. Thank you. Methodology is important. If we look at the life of Jesus and how God worked in his life, then it gives us an example of how he works in our lives. That is so important. Thank you all so much for being here today, and we look forward to going into lesson two next week.